All right, welcome in Hawk Ritz Podcast, episode 143. I'm Travis Shadon. We're going to get going shortly, but first, Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah and our title sponsor here on the Hawk Ritz Podcast. Check them out today, www.coaches.net, 3016 East Victory Drive, or 912-352-2933 if you want to call ahead. Monday through Friday, lunch specials. Sports all over the place, all over the walls, got TVs everywhere, NBA basketball, NFL obviously, college bowl games going on, now's a great time to get over to Coach's Corner and tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you and they'll hook it up for you. Check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain on Wednesday nights, uh, putting it down like a shitty baby, that's his line, I'm just quoting him. Uh, you can find that on YouTube archived or on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. You can also find Carl Damasi on Saturday mornings right there on the Coach's Corner Facebook page, archived on his YouTube page, the Carl Damasi Sports Report. So check out all those shows on the network and check out Coach's Corner today. Tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you. All right, let's get after it for a 143rd time. Hot Grits podcast. I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, crank his heat or something, and yeah. him right in the face. Punch the little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out, Come on, You over there. All right, welcome back in, Hawk Ritz Podcast. Missed you guys last week. That's on me. Hand up. That's on me. Um, look, not going to make excuses, but it is a little difficult when it's just me. Like, I don't, have, uh, I don't have someone keeping me honest, someone to hold me accountable for putting these episodes out. Uh, but I got to be better. I had an episode planned out, had it ready to record. And then just ran into some trouble last week. Um, part of the game, I guess, but I got to play through it. Um, and I owe you guys one. So here's the plan. We're going to have this episode, 143. You're listening to this, uh, if it's on time, on Tuesday, December 20th. Um, and then we'll come back a week from today. That'll be Georgia Southern's bowl game on Tuesday, December 27th. Uh, yeah, just running the quick math here. So Tuesday, December 27th, episode 144. Uh, I'm going to reach out to Lawrence over at Coach's Corner. I might, we might see about doing something up there next week um, with the Georgia Southern game at noon on Tuesday. Maybe I go up there, watch the game, uh, and then record live Tuesday after the game because I don't want to record Monday, then have Georgia Southern play at noon on Tuesday. Like I'd rather wait and be able to react to that game. But we'll see how it shakes out um, one way or another. Uh, and then after that, we'll go uh, best of, best of 2022 hot grits. And then the first week in January, we'll react to Georgia's uh, game against Ohio State. A uh, bunch of other stuff, obviously. The NFL playoffs will be shaking out by then. Um, and so we'll go from there. We'll do a best of hot grits to end 2022. But next week, episode 144. All right, that's some housekeeping stuff. Let's get to the uh, nuts and bolts. Let's get to why the people come. Why they come to the Hot Grits podcast. Um, we'll start with the Braves. Let's start with the Braves and baseball because 
you know, since we last recorded, lots has happened. Dansby Swanson, notably, 177 million over seven years to sign with the Chicago Cubs. Don't know if you heard or not, but that's where his wife plays soccer. It's the worst kept secret in baseball right now. Um, I don't know why that matters as much. <laughs> I don't know why that matters really at all. And the fact is that it didn't matter where his wife played Major League Soccer. Um, it didn't matter what the Braves' original offer was. Didn't matter if Swanson wanted to, quote, be a Brave for life. Didn't matter if he valued winning. Because the Braves' offer of six years, $100 million, we now know was never uh, bettered. They never reached out again after offering that six years, $100 million, And that's $16.7 million a year. Um, at six years, $100 million. So what he got from Chicago is almost $10 million more a year plus plus an extra year of, of um, you know, like just an extra year of being paid on top of it. So it's more money in total. It's $77 million more. It's an extra year, and it's $10 million more per year. So, you know, as much as we were on Dansby Swanson watch this whole offseason, you know, myself included, as much as I wanted him back, turns out, turns out that, the Braves were never in play. I mean, when the number comes out that it's that big, and it's a lot like the Xander Bogart situation in Boston, when there's a, as much of a discrepancy between reportedly what your final offer was and what the player eventually signs for, you know, when the, when the gap is that wide, it's almost like you tip your cap to Dansby, congratulate him, happy for the guy, but like, the Braves were never going to pay him $25 million a year. I mean, if you think about it, like, just think about it this way. Had the Braves done that, had they given him what Chicago gave him, which was never going to happen, but if they had, Dansby would become the highest paid player on the Braves team. Is Dansby worth it? I mean, is he, should he be the highest paid player on the Atlanta Braves? Uh, like, for me, it's a resounding no. For me, it's a resounding no. And, and I wrote this in my column for Connect this week, ConnectSavannah.com on Wednesday. You, like, Alex Anthopoulos is who we thought he was, right? To use the famous Denny Green, late great Denny Green's words, um, you know, they are who we thought they were, the Braves are. They are who we thought they were because they're not going to budge on, on shit like this. They're just not going to do it. They didn't do it for Freeman. They didn't do it for Swanson. And I got news for you. They're not doing it for Max Freed. They're not going to extend Max Freed unless Max Freed wants to essentially do something pretty illogical and take that sort of a discount, something like $70 million less than what he could get on the open market. He'd be an idiot. And I'm pretty sure Freed is a Boris client. Pretty sure Freed is represented by Scott Boris. So, okay, Dansby Swanson gone. For the first time since 2016, the Braves are looking for a starting shortstop. The only other Braves player, by the way, Atlanta Braves player, to start six consecutive opening days at shortstop for, for the Atlanta Braves was Rafael Ramirez. Swanson had done that. Uh, 
he won't do that. He won't extend that to seven years, but he became only the second man at short. So it's been a while since the Braves needed somebody at shortstop. I mean, even when Swanson wasn't great, late 2016, 2017, 2018, it wasn't like the Braves were looking for a shortstop. Like, we didn't know what Swanson would become. We didn't know if he would become a starting shortstop in Major League Baseball long-term. He did become that, but even at that time, they were going to wait on him the whole time. That was going to happen. So the fact that the Braves have a void at shortstop, and make no mistake, the Braves have a void at shortstop. Do not, do not, and if you're listening to this, you're smart enough to not fall for this, but do not fall for the Orlando Arcia, Vaughn Grissom tandem at shortstop. That can't work. I'm not convinced the Braves are done. I'm not convinced that they're going to roll into spring training with just those two guys. Because look, I'll be the first to admit I I, I need to backtrack a little on Arcia. He's not an absolute cancer like I originally thought he was. But he's certainly not an everyday shortstop. Okay, like he's serviceable in stints. I like Arcia two to three times a week. Plug him in at DH one night, plug him in at left field one night, plug him in at shortstop one day, maybe plug him in at second base if you want to give Ozzy a day off. I like him in that role. To have him penciled in every day at shortstop, that can't happen if you're trying to win a sixth straight National League East. Not while the Phillies are adding Trey Turner, not while the Mets are spending $100 billion in one offseason. I mean, that, you cannot roll that out there and try to convince the rest of your team that you're going for a World Series title. And that's what the Braves are doing. They're squarely in the winning window here. They're going to start this season with an estimated payroll of $229.2 million. That means they'll be over the threshold, the luxury tax threshold, for the first time ever. Ever, ever, ever. The Braves will pay a luxury tax for going over the soft salary cap in baseball. So if you're going to do all that, okay, if you're going to spend all that money, if you're going to pay Chuck Morton $20 million over one year, you're going to do all that, and you're not going to have a shortstop? Like Von Grissom, I'm not going to give up on the guy. I can, certainly not. I love Von Grissom as a prospect. But you can't expect him to go start 145 games, 140 games at shortstop. This time last year, you, I mean, he was in double A. I mean, you know, you have guys playing every day, Adrianza playing every day. Guys like that, like two years ago, we saw what happened. When they have to play every day, the roster or the lineup begins to have holes, and you can't go through an entire season with holes in a lineup. So I don't know what the Braves are going to do at shortstop. But despite what they'll tell you, and despite what the beat writers might write, the Braves don't have the answer currently in the organization. They are going to have to go outside the organization for shortstop help. Now, does that come in the form of free agent Elvis Andrews? 
former Atlanta Braves top prospect, by the way. Still one of the worst trades in Braves history. Mark Teixeira on a rental. Oh, man. Mark Teixeira on a rental for Elvis Andrews and one of the best closers of that era. Neftali Feliz? Is that who it was? Bad trade. But Andrews is out there. Brandon Crawford in San Francisco? I don't know that they would get rid of him. Even though they just signed Correa, he's on a one-year deal. Could you trade for him? Uh, Nick Ahmed is a, is a nice defensive shortstop in Arizona. They don't feel like a winning team. The Braves have made trades with Arizona in the past. Notably, Dansby Swanson came from there. Shelby Miller, one of the best trades in Braves history. I don't know what they'll do at shortstop, um, but I, I, know, I know this, that the... Braves front office wasn't sitting around waiting on Swanson before they got going because they traded for catcher Sean Murphy from Oakland. 28-year-old Sean Murphy in a three-team deal involving Oakland and Milwaukee as well as Atlanta. The Braves sent away Bill Contreras, William Contreras, the starting DH for the National League All-Star team this past year. Um, I, when, the fir- when the trade first was announced, I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. I was adamantly against it. I've softened my stance a bit since then. And I'll tell you why. I think, I think Sean Murphy is going to be better than William Contreras over the next two to three seasons. And we just talked about the Braves being in their winning window. I love Contreras as a long-term player in Major League Baseball. And I think his bat is better than Sean Murphy's. But it's not that much better. Especially if you project Contreras to kind of revert to the mean. I mean, he had a great year last year. But is that sustainable over a 10-year career? I don't know. I don't know. We know how bad Darno is behind the plate throwing guys out, especially. Uh, Contreras wasn't that much Better. Sean Murphy is elite in that category. Behind JT Real Muto, he's number two in baseball and pop time, average pop time last year, which is the time, you know, from when the ball hits the mitt to when the ball gets to second base. I think he was at 192. 192 in the major league average is two, two seconds. Um, Real Muto, 182 is Hall of Fame caliber stuff. But Murphy career 236, 326, 755 OPS. That's his slash line. 236, 326, 755 OPS. And he won't be a free agent until 2026. 759 OPS last year. He was top five in the caught stealing category in 2021 and 2022 in the American League. So he's throwing runners out at an elite clip. And that might become more valuable over time because remember... Remember, this year starts the rules about picking off players. There's a limit to how many times you can throw over. Okay, the bases being marginally bigger. There probably will be more stolen base attempts in the near future in baseball. Um, And so that will matter a little bit more. I, I still value offense over defense. I always will. But I understand the move because you control this Sean Murphy guy, this Sean Murphy character, 28-year-old, 
but he won't be a free agent until 2026. He started 116 games last year at catcher. If he can do, you know, I would think you would want him to start, you know, if you play six games in a week, you would want him to start four, Darno to start two, and then Darno maybe another two days at DH. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, like I say, I don't know that the Braves are done. Certainly left field, right? I mean, certainly left field, Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna, you know, that could be considered a bit of a void. I don't know that you're going to get anyone to bite on Marcelo Zuna's contract, but that could be a spot they upgrade. And then the DH spot in general, I'd prefer to have a guy that's a, a power hitting DH, a DH, as opposed to using the DH you know, as a platoon for Albies, Ozuna, Darno, Murphy, whoever's not catching. I'd rather have a DH there, but I understand the flexibility in that spot because that's what the Braves did last year with Contreras. And so, the, you know, the Sean Murphy trade, I do understand it. I understand it, and, and I'm not mad at it anymore. I'm not going to, you know, throw a parade in the streets because the Braves got Sean Murphy. I mean, right when these trades happen, it seems like fans either hate it or they love it, and Sean Murphy becomes the greatest catcher since Yogi Berra. He's not that. But he's cheap, he's under team control, and he's got good, you know, advanced stats. And if there's a, you know, a recipe for Alex Anthopoulos liking you as a player, it's those three things for sure. Are you good sabermetrically? Are you cheap? And do you have team control? Boom. Anthopoulos is in. So the Braves wheeling and dealing, not quite like the Phillies, not quite like the Mets, but at least there's something happening out there. For the longest time, we had to wait for the Braves to do anything. We'll keep track of them throughout this offseason, but let's talk college football now. It's bowl season. We're doing our bowl group presented by John Carr, the number one realtor in the world. John Carr Real Estate, 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916. Find him at Seaport Real Estate. You can find him online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. John Carr is our guy. If you want to learn more about the market, if you want to sell real estate in this area or buy real estate in the Savannah area, call or text John Carr today, 912 228 0916. Um, all right, I got off to a rough start in the bowls. I think I started five and four, first nine bowl games. But I got a lot of possible points remaining in that bowl group. We got 40 something people in the bowl group uh, this year. Um, so, you know, looking forward to tracking that over time and as the bowl games begin to go along. Um, you know, I'm recording this on Monday. You're listening to this on Tuesday. Got a bowl game today, let's see, we got a bowl game today on, or two bowl games today on Tuesday, Eastern Michigan, San Jose State, I got San Jose State in that one, Boca Raton Bowl, 7.30 Tuesday night, Liberty and Toledo, um, I think I took Toledo in that, I did, and then South Alabama, Western Kentucky, Wednesday night in New Orleans, before Baylor and Air Force on Thursday in the Armed Forces Bowl. Um, I got Baylor, by the way, in that one. And I believe I have West, or I have South Alabama, I think, in the New Orleans Bowl on Wednesday. 
Um, look, we're going to talk a lot about Georgia next week. Going to talk a lot about Georgia Southern next week. Um, Georgia's still a six and a half point favorite, 11 days out from playing Ohio State, who's getting six and a half points over under 62 and a half for that Peach Bowl game in Atlanta, New Year's Eve night. So that, that's an implied score of 35 to 28 in favor of Georgia. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, don't really want to start breaking down those like that matchup yet. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it more as we go along. I, I, I would say this, that it's crazy to me still that college football hasn't figured out. And this will be fixed in the 12-team playoff. But college football, the postseason, for a team to wait a month. So you play for almost four months, play for three months, and then you have to wait an entire month. They put the entire season on hold until you play the most important game of the year. I mean, it's crazy. We've already talked about how ludicrous it is to have it on New Year's Eve in general. It's the worst sporting night of the year, or it should be. Uh, it's crazy to me that Ohio State's going to, they're going to have been off for 35 days by the time they kick off. In what other sport would, would that be acceptable? I mean, the Braves had to wait like six days. Because they won the NL East, and we, and we panicked about that. We, like a lot of people still think that's why they lost to the Phillies. I don't. But, I mean, like, a month? I mean, it's a whole different season. That'll be fixed in the 12-team playoff in a couple years. I mean, it still won't be immediate. It'll still be a couple weeks. So... Um, you know, that to me is dumbfounding. I, I think Georgia will be fine in that game if if they can make Ohio State one-dimensional. And I think they'll be able to do that. We'll talk more about that um, next week on the episode just before Georgia and Ohio State on New Year's Eve night. Georgia Southern, three-and-a-half-point favorite versus Buffalo, over-under 66. So that's an implied score. Georgia Southern, 35 Buffalo 31, 35-31, Georgia Southern. Again, that's on Tuesday, a week from today, if you're listening to this on December 20th. At noon, Camellia Bowl, Crampton Bowl, Montgomery, Alabama, the hustle and bustle of Montgomery, Alabama. Um, Georgia Southern, I liked them in this game. Like The only Buffalo game I saw this year was a, I forget who they played, it was a Power 5 game. Earlier in the season, I think, um, and they got, they got raced pretty good. I don't know how many opt-outs they have. I know Georgia Southern's got Derek Canteen opted out um, and in the transfer portal. He's going to uh, the cornerback, Derek Canteen, by the way. Um, so, he'll, you know, he'll be moving on to a bigger program, I would assume. He won't be playing in the bowl game. That didn't shift the line at all. Uh, didn't sway the betters at all. The betters, B-E-T-T-O-R-S, by the way. It didn't sway them. And so it, it doesn't sway, for me, the difference in this game. I, I do think, and I, you know, I said this before, I think that this week, more important for Georgia Southern in terms of moving forward than next week. And this week is national, the early national signing period, which begins on Wednesday 
and runs through Friday, I think you'll see a lot of group of five schools sign a majority of their class at these early signing events. Um, last I checked, Georgia Southern, according to 247 Sports, which, by the way, like, these recruiting rankings, like, you know, for the group of five and for Georgia Southern especially, it's been impossible for the longest time to actually track the legitimate commitments of Georgia Southern. I don't know why it's so difficult. But, I mean, nearly every recruiting service you look at online has a different amount of total recruits committed, has literally different guys listed as committed. That's not including any JUCO guys. It's not including any transfer portal um, intakes that Georgia Southern could potentially get. But 247 has them fifth in the Sun Belt right now with, I think, 14 commitments in the class. Again, take that for what it's worth, which is not a lot. Fifth in the Sun Belt is, is okay for Georgia Southern. Working in a new scheme, there are two best players in the class. One of them is out of New Hampstead, Elijah Lacey. Um, Elijah with an A, I think. Um, he's a D-end. Another D-end at the top of the class for Georgia Southern. And then a wide receiver. 11 of the 14 commitments on 247 for Georgia Southern are three stars. And that's what you want to stack those classes with, man. Just stack them with three stars. And then you'll have to fill in you know, with the un- unstarred guys, like, you know, the guys that have no stars. I do miss the time where back in the early recruiting days, like it, when the internet was first booming onto the scene and places like Rivals and Scout were first doing the recruiting rankings, you know, mid-2000s, 05, 06, 07, that range, they used to, they used to have hundreds and hundreds of one-stars and two-stars as well as three, four, and five stars. Now it just seems like they just have five star, four star, three star. Which to me, I mean, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist here, but if you have five star as the maximum, you, like you can't just have the three star as the minimum. Because certainly there are players out there that like a two star is better than a one star in my eyes. But that's what Georgia Southern wants to do, and that starts Wednesday. They want to sign, you know, I I would think over half the class in the early signing period, if not much more than that. We'll see how it shakes out. Georgia currently number two in the recruiting rankings behind Alabama. So they're number two in the country, number two in the SEC behind Alabama. And I think Georgia has 23 commitments, again, on 247. So we'll see how many that actually turns out to be in the early signing period. I'm sure Georgia will leave a couple of, you know, a couple of spots open for transfer portal intake, possibly. Okay, and then also for any, you know, for any late, not late signing day, national signing day, February 1st, for that portion of it as well. I'm sure Georgia will leave room for that. But we'll track that Wednesday through Friday, the national early signing period. All right, let's talk NFL now. What a wild week 15 it was. A crazy week 15. Uh, we'll start with the Falcons, but we'll talk more about the NFL in general um, as we go here. Desmond Ritter, not great in the loss to New Orleans Saints. Falcons 5-9, and nine, still just a game back from the awful, awful Tampa Bay Buccaneers who just got housed in the second half by the Cincinnati Bengals. 
in a 17-point comeback, just one of the many crazy games of Week 15. Uh, like, I, Desmond Ritter was not good. He was Marcus Mariota, but not as good as Marcus Mariota. But, you know, I don't, A, I don't think we expected Desmond Ritter to be great in New Orleans, first career start ever, with a, a Falcons roster that isn't great. I mean, we all know that. But, you know, and, and then also when the Falcons are driving to try to tie the game or else win the game uh, there in the fourth quarter, on fourth down, Ritter hit Drake London with a nice pass, a bullet slant, which was the only pass that he could complete all day, it seemed like. I mean, the only real safety valve for Desmond Ritter was the slant all day. But he hit London with that play, and then London fumbles the ball, coughs it up. New Orleans gets consecutive first downs, and the game's over, essentially. I don't know that it's, that it's going to be any better next week at Baltimore for Desmond Ritter. Like, the Falcons, again, are who we thought they were. They are able to run the ball. They're one of the best running teams in the NFL. They rush for over 200 yards against the Saints. Tyler Algier was a man on a mission against the Saints. But, you know, I think Desmond Ritter probably going to be Similar stat line next week, which is, again, not good. Got to throw for more than 100 yards if you're the starting quarterback of an NFL team. But this is why we wanted Ritter over these last three, four, five weeks. Because now you'll go into the offseason knowing what you have. Like You don't know what you have after one start. And I would argue that next week or this week at Baltimore, you're not going to know this time next week. You're not going to know what you have. It's not a big enough sample size. But if you give him four starts, like that is, that's a worthy sample size. So Falcons, like as crazy as it seems, they're one game out in the world-class, terrible NFC South. Baltimore this week, I don't know how great that's going to go. But look, the Falcons, they might be built for that kind of game, right? Probably going to be nasty weather. Probably going to be some gross weather in Baltimore. Like, you're a team that depends on running the ball. Maybe? I don't see it. I think it's going to go badly for the Falcons. But at least we're going to get to see Desmond Ritter develop or not develop. Now he's got a game worth of film, a week to uh, react, to, to improve on you know, the things that he did wrong against... The Saints, now can he better those? Can he look a little better against Baltimore? And then a little better a week prior. Then a little better against the Buccaneers in the finale. That's all you would, that's all you would ask. Show some improvement. Like I said, it was great week 15 in the NFL. First thing we had was a Colts collapse. Poor Matt Ryan. Oh, poor Matt Ryan. I also put this in my Connect column uh, this week on ConnectSavannah.com. Matt Ryan was the quarterback for the Colts on Saturday when the Colts blew a 33-0 halftime lead to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, you guys know Matt Ryan. He's the former Atlanta Falcons quarterback. He was the Atlanta Falcons quarterback for the infamous 28-3 28-3 blown Super Bowl lead versus the Patriots. The biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. Matt Ryan's on the losing side of it. 
Now he's on the losing side of the biggest comeback in NFL history, period. Every NFL game of all time, nobody has ever overcome a 33 to nothing halftime deficit. And that's what happened to Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan's Indianapolis Colts on Saturday against Kirk Cousins' Vikings. So, if you're wondering, if you're keeping track at home, Matt Ryan also lost the following leads as a member of the Atlanta Falcons. So we know 28-3 Super Bowl, right? We know that. He also lost a 30-20 lead with 5.59 left in the fourth quarter against San Diego. He lost a 17-0 lead against Miami with 12 minutes remaining in the third quarter. He lost a 39-24 lead with 4.50 left in the fourth quarter to Dallas. And he lost a 26-10 to 10 lead with six minutes left against Chicago. So all the numbers, all the stats, Matt Ryan will never be remembered for anything else but being on the losing end of the two biggest comebacks in the NFL's history. Poor guy. Then, later Saturday night, Bill's Dolphins, T-Bass, former Georgia Southern great, former Georgia Southern kicker, Bass Swings, uh, he hits the game winner against the Dolphins, my beloved Dolphins, who have lost three in a row, but I'm not out on them just yet. I'm not out on them just yet. T-Bass makes that game-winning kick, and and you see all the Bills players removing the snow from his landing spot just before the kick, and I'm screaming at the TV. I don't know why the Dolphins players don't run over there and push all the snow back. Just kick all the snow back to where they're moving it from. Make it harder on the man. I don't know. That should be illegal in my eyes. Another Georgia Southern product, Jarek McKinnon, with the Chiefs, Game winner, walk off in an overtime game with the Texans. Can't believe the Chiefs went to overtime with the Texans, but they won thanks to Jarek McKinnon's walk off rushing score. So, two Georgia Southern players, uh, there aren't many in the league, and two of them had game winners this past weekend during week 15 of the NFL. Jaguars beat the Cowboys. How about them? The Cowboys, man. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Every year, this team, dude, they just look so good. And then they just look so bad. Good for the Jags. What about the Raiders versus Patriots? Holy hell. What an ending to that game. Always better with some Titanic music. Mac Hollins out on defense. He's all the way back. Uh, Stevenson is inside the 30, flips it back. Stanford band nowhere in sight. Uh-oh. It's picked off. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Incredible. Chandler Jones takes it in and wins the game for the Raiders. So there it is. Uh, the play that you've no doubt seen by now, Chandler Jones, no time on the clock, defensive end for the Raiders, former New England Patriot, takes just a ludicrous lateral, a crazy, crazy play 
to end the game and takes it to the house after stiff-arming Mac Jones with what is likely one of the sickest, most deadly stiff arms of all time. I mean, you could go your whole life without seeing an ending to a game like that. What it was, it was the tuck rule. It was the revenge game for the tuck rule. All those years ago, Raiders versus Patriots. Came back to haunt him. Karma's a bitch, Bill Belichick. On to Cleveland. What an unpatriots thing to do. At least when they lost on that crazy play to Miami, the Miami Miracle, a few years ago when they put Gronkowski in at safety uh, on that last play and the Dolphins scored in walk-off fashion. I think it was Kenyon Drake. At least that was like the Dolphins making a play. This was just the Pats' own doing. I mean, they could have just kneeled the ball. But instead, we were gifted one of the greatest endings in NFL history. Um, we talk, we're talking about football. Let's talk football. You know what I did, guys? Was I watched the World Cup final with Lionel Messi, Argentina, eventually winning in PKs. I watched it until it was 2 nothing. Then I cut it off. I missed both of the France goals. Cut it back on for extra time. So stupid. I cut it back on for extra time. Argentina takes a 3-2 lead in extra time. And I say, okay, this thing's over. And I missed the game. I missed all of France's goals, all three of them. Tune back in for the PKs. Now Lionel Messi gets his World Cup uh, championship. I'm glad the World Cup's over. Like It was fun. It was exciting. But man, it just clogs up the Twitter timeline. A little too much football for me. I mean, it was weird not having it over the summer. It's weird having it in the middle of American football. Plus, you know, on Sunday, my eyes were locked in to the NFL, obviously, but Tiger and Charlie and the PNC. I'm not going to do a segment on that, guys. Don't worry. But I was glued in on that, too. Charlie, the next great one. He's out there limping around. He's wearing the same thing as his dad, doing the same mannerisms as Tiger. And then he starts limping around the course because he's got uh, like a cramp in his foot. But he's walking around like Tiger at the U.S. Open when Tiger broke a leg. <laughs> Just so funny. Like they, they even have to be injured at the same time. They should bar anyone over 15 years old from playing in that event, though. I don't want to see Vijay Singh and his like, 28-year-old son, scratch golfer, out there winning the event. And I'm also going to call John Daly's kid Little John forever. He's always going to be Little John Daly. All right, uh, Prep Sports Report, local segment. High school basketball, we just had the Savannah Holiday Classic. You can read all about it on Prep Sports Report. Dot com, prepsportsreport.com, number one source for local sports here in Savannah, high school sports here in Savannah. Um, free to read, no subscription necessary, and you can find out all the need to know about high school athletics and local athletics in this area, prepsportsreport.com. Check it out today. Check them out on Twitter, at PrepSAV. Uh, we have some teams in the local rankings now, Kyle Sandy's rankings uh, this week, some adjustments. Takeaways from the Holiday Classic. Um, the good. Savannah High is good. They are ranked number nine in Class A D1. 
They're ranked in the top 10 in the state, guys. Savannah High School basketball is for the first time in I don't know how long. A long time. I'm going to work to try to find that out this week, but they're number nine this week in Kyle Sandy's poll, and good for Tim Jordan and the Blue Jackets because, look, while everyone else is going a certain route in high school athletics in this area, you know, the recruiting word is somehow taboo in high school sports. Like, like it's a bad thing to recruit quality student athletes to your school. That's a bad thing. I saw people on Twitter like saying that's how BC wins their state titles. Well, if that's the case, then why don't you start doing that? Maybe you'll win some state titles. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have good players come to your school. It's not a bad thing to sell your school to potential student-athletes. That shouldn't be frowned upon. I'm not saying that's what BC does or what any school does. I mean, the fact is we know that it goes on everywhere. But even if that is what they're doing, that's a good thing in my eyes. That's a smart thing. Um, That's a reasonable thing to do. It's not undue influence. Anyways, Savannah High has not done that. And they've gone through growing pains because of it. Because in this era, if you're not taking transfers, if you're, not, if you're letting guys transfer freely from your school, which Tim Jordan always did, it's tough to compete. And we've seen teams like Johnson, teams like Jenkins, teams like Groves, teams like Windsor take advantage of it. Savannah High was sort of left behind. But now they're back, folks. They're number nine this week. Windsor Forest, number eight this week. Aaron Clark con- continues to do a good job with that basketball team. I mean, they don't. Like, to me, they might not have a top 10 roster in terms of talent in Class 2A, but they're getting the most out of it with with Q Anderson. Larry Pounds hit a crazy game winner last weekend. They took number three, number four, Beach. Class 3A, number four, Beach to the wire. Beach ended up coming in third place in the Crawford Square division of the Holiday Classic. Johnson won that. Johnson's rolling. They lost a crazy upset to Calvary, who's number six this week in Class 3A, but then they came into the Holiday Classic and really just rode Antonio Baker and Malachi Robinson to three straight wins in a Crawford Square bracket title. Uh, So they are number two in Class 3A, Beach number four in Class 3A, and Calvary Day number six in Class 3A. Welcome Calvary Day to the Savannah High School Hoops discussion. They got a big man from overseas, a big freshman. From, I, I don't know this, but I think he's from the continent of Africa. Like, I don't know that, but he is from overseas. You want to talk about recruiting? How's that happen? But it's already paying dividends for the Cavs, uh, they got a good roster, and they'll be, uh, I think, one of the four playoff teams out of that region. 3-3-A, once again, is just going to be a gauntlet. And it'll be bad for the teams, bad for the coaches. You know, not too fun for the players, I would think. But it'll be great for us as fans to watch that shake out all season long. So, again, Savannah High, number 9, Class 1A, Windsor Forest, number Eight, class 2A. Calvary, number 6 and 3A. Beach, number 4 and 3A. Johnson, 
number two in 3A. So that's the good. The bad from the Holiday Classic is what's going on at Woodville Tompkins. This is a preseason top 10 team, and maybe that's on us. You know, maybe we should throw a hand up for misevaluating the team, but they were worked over in the Holiday Classic. Now, I would expect Lenny Williams to turn it around. They have a great player in Alfonso Ross. The problem is, you know, from at least from what the box scores look like, is that they haven't, they've yet to find another player to consistently play that second fiddle. And they're giving up a lot of points, which is uncharacteristic of a Lenny Williams basketball team. I mean, they lost by 37 points to Slam out of Tampa, uh, who Slam lost by one point to Windsor in the fifth place game, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, they also got worked over pretty good, I think 12 points to Johnson. But then they turn around and beat Woodville Tompkins by 37 I mean, that was alarming. Woodville, out of the eight teams in the Crawford Square bracket, Woodville came in eighth. Because they lost to New Hampstead on Saturday as well. So, you know, that to me was the most alarming thing to come out of the Holiday Classic. And the best thing for me was Savannah High. Looking like they're going to be a player, um, not only on the city level, as they won the Washington Square bracket, uh, but also on the state level, now that they've entered the top 10. All right, last thing local sports-wise, and we'll close up with a couple of HGPCDOTWs. Uh, local media, local media news, local sports media taking a hit of late, man. Andrew Goldstein uh, gone at WSAV. He's left um, and taking a job outside of journalism. Uh, Jake Wallace, who was the former sports director at WTOC, he moved into the news side, but his last day at WTOC was this past weekend as well, along with Andrew. Uh, We know that earlier this fall, the uh, ESPN Coastal, the three and out guys, the radio show here for for a long time, the three to six Monday through Friday radio show on 104.3 FM, they were taken off the air after um, after the station was sold. So that show, you know, the only local sports show on the radio dial here in the area, that was, you know, is no longer around. I like Bill Shanks and those guys, but, you know, it's, it does kind of stink to have no dedicated daily Savannah sports talk show. Also earlier this fall, Lindsey Goff, the first ever female sports director in Savannah um, at the you know, the big three TV stations. She left to go back to Kentucky to take a job. And then Nathan Dominitz was part of the Gannett layoffs at the Savannah Morning News, which means that the Savannah Morning News no longer has a Georgia Southern Athletics beat writer. And from what I can tell, that would leave Josh Aubrey at the Statesboro Herald to be the last remaining Georgia Southern beat writer at a daily newspaper and I don't even know is the Statesboro Herald daily I think it is I mean it certainly doesn't have the circulation that the Savannah Morning News had but it's significant to to say that the Savannah Morning News no longer has a sports editor and Nathan Dominance was as good as it gets man 
I mean, just having worked under him for two years, you know, full time, and for a lot of years freelancing, you know, he was my editor. He was as good as they come, as meticulous as they come, and as dedicated to the Savannah sports community as they come. And now we don't have that anymore at our, at our daily newspaper. And Georgia Southern, the university that's on the rise athletics-wise, just as far as money being spent, money coming in, and its ascension to Division One in 2014, for them to no longer have a, a dedicated Georgia Southern beat writer is, is really wild, and it's significant. It's significant. So, yeah, that's on the local sports media front. Uh, seems like, I mean, seems like it's happening more and more nowadays, which is not a good thing, but I guess part of the reality. All right, let's close up here. HGP celebrity deaths of the week. I owe you two of them. We had Mike Leach, the pirate. Mike Leach died, so RIP to him. He'll get, uh, we'll give him, we'll give him this week's HGP CD OTW. So for you out there keeping, uh, keeping track, Mike Leach gets this week. Last week, we'll go with Mills Lane. Mills Lane, a name known around the Savannah sporting community for a long time. He was the famous heavyweight boxer, boxing referee. I should say not heavyweight, just a boxing referee. Uh, was in the ring as the third man in the ring for over 100 title fights. He died um, last weekend, or I should say two weekends ago, um, at his home in Reno, Nevada. Mills Lane, you'll remember the famous... Uh, the, I mean, he was in the ring for a lot of famous fights. Let's be honest. But the most famous one was when Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear. I want you guys to hear this clip of Mills Lane being asked by a reporter after that fight. Uh, brace yourselves. You're about to find out how tough Mills Lane was as a referee. Why did you stop? How many times you want him to get bit? There's a goddamn limit to everything, you know, including bites. Well, That's now, why. Now, Tyson's camp will say that the, the headbutts were intentional. The hell bullshit. The headbutt was unintentional butt. The headbutt was an unintentional butt, and, and, and I called his butt. <laughs> Nobody says bullshit like an old guy. Ah, bullshit. That was Mills Lane reacting to a reporter asking him about disqualifying Mike Tyson after he bit Evander Holyfield twice. He was also in the ring, Mills Lane was. He was in the ring for when that, the parachuter flew in. Like, I don't remember where it was, when it was, or what fight it was, but there's a famous video of a parachuter flying into the ring. I don't know if it was like a demonstration or like a protester of some sort, but Mills Lane in the ring for that one as well. This is a no-nonsense guy, um, and if you're Savannah sports junkie, you should know the name Mills Lane. RIP to him. Uh, his famous uh, line for just before all of his fights started was, let's get it on. Let's get it on. And that was awesome. I, I saw an interview with, with him uh, after he died. I saw an interview of him uh, from the mid-1990s, and he said he just started doing that organically. He just needed something to say to tell the fighters, like, go to your corners and let's start. Let's get it on. Mike Leach, Mills Lane, a couple of MLs. For the HGP CDOTW this week. All right, 
That's it for me, episode 144 next week. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to all of you guys. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, you filthy animals. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. 
It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561. Thank you.